Good heavens! A podcast about the universe with Wayne and Dan. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. This is our first episode. Yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, the eclipse of August 21st. Yes, we are. Uh, 2017. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, just want to maybe do a little backstory about what this is all about. Um, briefly, you and I know uh, Lee and Rebecca, and we were sitting chatting in their living room one night and swapping stories about the universe. And uh, Rebecca had the suggestion that we do a podcast. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. Yeah. And then so immediately I got a hold of our friend Byron and I said, hey, can we use the studio that, you know, you have access to? And he's right. like, and then he responded, yes. And so then I, what, I emailed you and I said, Wayne, we can do a podcast and we have a studio. <laughs> and you're like, well. <laughs> so, so things kind of fell in place. And uh, so Dan and I both uh, are former teachers. And I used to be a science teacher. My background is physics. And he, Dan has a little more of an eclectic background, I guess. But uh, It's totally bizarre. It's off the radar. Uh, <laughs> it's totally so, unhireable. So Dan and I come at, at uh, astronomy from different angles and different uh, uh, personalities a little bit. So Right. We have, we have differences, but I think they, they're odd couple-like complementary. Right. So. <laughs> so we thought this is our first episode. We, we have access to a great studio. Uh, we have wonderful friends that are supporting us. And uh, we thought we'd just take our, our conversational style on the road. I've heard you give talks on Kepler, and we've just enjoyed uh, fellowshipping about uh, the universe. But I think the, the primary thing I think we want to talk about is um, more of what gets lost in the science of astronomy and cosmology and astrophysics is the meaning of, of what it is. And we're coming at it from an, a perspective of uh, God's glory. The, uh, a glory that honors Christ, and we want to talk about the universe, tell stories about the universe, and, and give our perspectives on how meaningful it has been to us. Right. So a, a long time ago, many uh, scientists uh, who were in who got astronomy and physics going in, in many ways were founders of physics and astronomy, were Christians, and they had a unique perspective. They believed God had designed the, the, this universe and the, the earth, and, and they had a different perspective than many scientists today. Um, somewhere along the line, the, the science has become more advanced and more technical, and, uh, but the, the meaning of it escapes people a lot. Right. It gets lost yeah. in, the, in the mathematics. Right. And I think that's uh, – you like uh, Johannes Kepler, and we'll be talking about him hopefully in a – another episode or so. But, um, you know, Kepler designed or designed, he came up with the, the fundamental laws about planetary motion. And that, for a lot of historians in astronomy, is a, is a kind of a pivotal point, more so than Copernicus, because mm -hmm. Kepler really sort of uh, quantified the universe. Now, he mm -hmm. wasn't intending to, to make it abstract. He just found certain mathematical representations through a lot of trial and error. Um, but that system of mathematics kind of took over. The science became very complicated. It is very complicated. It, but I think it's an attestation of, of God's glory. But unfortunately, in the realm of modern physics and science, uh, as you say, the, the mathematics and the, the quantification of the heavens has pushed uh, most of us 
away from being interested in the universe. You hear it mm-hmm. all the time. I love I love looking at the stars, but I hate math. And they people think that the only way that you can enjoy astronomy is um, to, to to have all this physics and math background. Mm. Uh, that's not to denigrate math and physics. It's just to say in in all of that, there's still that awe and wonder that drew Kepler and Newton and Galileo to look at the heavens as they did. And I think the eclipse uh, that we experienced a couple of weeks ago certainly, at least for me, it showed the awe and wonder aspect of uh, that still enthralls people, I think. Yeah, you know, I think it was good that the the, the eclipse was in the uh, continental United States so so many people could get together, and it did bring a lot of people together. And so you had... Uh, scientists there who were doing experiments, and you had the the rest of the public and other people there just there to for the fun of it and and watching it all. You know, uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. It uh, really was. It was uh, uh, quite spectacular to see. I know in um, Carbondale, Illinois, where they have uh, uh, Southern Illinois University. I was watching on watching the eclipse <clears throat> as I was looking at it out in the yard. I was watching it on TV as well. And uh, they were broadcasting from uh, Southern Illinois University's stadium. They have a 15,000-capacity football stadium at at Southern Illinois University, and it was filled to capacity. And the astronomer, uh, well, the astronomer, the reporter who was there on the field for ABC, it was relaying how there were clouds that were coming in, and not not complete cloud cover, but just enough to come and go. And it was the cloud cover uh, obscured the actual eclipse and people are like oh but then just at the last minute the last few seconds the clouds dissipated and the crowd cheered Hmm. and it was really amazing because that wasn't like a cheer for mathematics that wasn't a cheer for a football team that was that was a cheer that that was otherworldly because you're 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 looking at this astronomical event that nobody few people in that stadium have probably ever seen in their lifetime Hmm. so they're cheering for something and you're like well that's not science that's not math that's not what is that that is, I think, part of how God's glory works through the creation. Is just, and it, you know, a lot of people in that stadium probably didn't know that, but uh, that's what I hope we can we can bring out as we talk about the universe is to to try to bring back what it means uh, in Scripture about the heavens declaring the glory of God. But you brought some. You're the science guy. You brought some facts about the about the eclipse that you wanted to talk about, and uh, we we can kind of discuss that and see how uh, see where we go from there. Yeah, so uh, the the dark there's two shadows in the that the eclipse makes the darkest shadow, which is where the totality region, is where the light gets completely blocked for a short time. So that's a very narrow band. That, yeah, it's called the umbra, and that's about a fifty mile wide swath across the United States. Okay, and then uh, so it started crossing the United States at one sixteen p.m. Eastern Time, Lincoln, Lincoln Beach, Oregon. A lot of people gathered there, um, and then it's, it uh, it crossed the other side of the United States in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, at two forty-eight p.m. So it was literally coast to coast, coast to coast, coast to coast. And uh, I think it's there was a lot of interesting. There's a lot of interesting uh, research going on because you, there's some unique things. You, Scientists can do to find out about the sun mm-hmm. uh, at, during a, during an eclipse that can't be done at other times, and so for example, uh, there were two jets that NASA had that were following the shadow of the eclipse. Now the shadow 
was actually moving at a high rate of speed, correct? What was it? Yeah, it's, I think it's over 2,000 miles an hour. Sometimes. So these jets were, were, were not <laughs> going that fast, were they, or they were trying to? No, they, but their supersonic jets are following it best they could. <laughs> and there was a whole, whole bunch of uh, uh, was that Air balloons. Force? There were balloons that were put yeah. all along the, the path. So they could follow them. And, and they were taking pictures. So they, they were astronomers that worked out with high school students. They had physics classes from high schools all over the across the United States, and they would go out and help with this. They would launch these balloons and with a camera that would take pictures from from high altitude, and they had to launch the balloon at just the right time so they would get there at the time the eclipse was going to happen. And so somebody is going to put together the, these pictures and in, into a, a video or whatever. To, to show the whole eclipse as it goes across the whole wow. United States. So the balloons didn't interfere with the high-altitude jets, I'm assuming. They... <laughs> uh, I didn't hope... hear anything about that on the news. <laughs> I didn't hear anything about that. So, so were they, uh, do you know anything about the jets? I didn't. I didn't. I, I heard about them. I didn't look into that further. I, that that sounds fascinating. Did they? Um, the Air Force, I imagine, or NASA has some special jets okay. for that. Yeah. Do they? They've, they've had them NASA's for some got, time. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty amazing. NASA doesn't just make spacecraft. No, it, yeah, do. it does. National aeronautics that's right. and space. They do aeronautics. Yeah, so they can they, they can do jets and they can do rockets. That's right. And uh, so, but it's interesting. You know, you talk about this being a an event where a lot of scientific experimentation was going, a lot of scientific research, a lot of data gathering, um, which was. Interesting to me because I, I know on the ABC broadcast that I was watching, uh, a NASA astrophysicist by the name of uh, Hakim Olusei was on and off during the broadcast uh, talking to David Muir, the ABC correspondent. And uh, Dr. Olusei had said at one point that he, he compared the eclipse, the coast-to-coast eclipse, as a sporting event, only it was a science event. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, astro- the astrophysicist uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson also he tweeted – you know, that the lunar eclipse brought to you by the methods and tools of science. A lot of people were championing the idea of science. And so you got this distinct impression, if you were just Joe Public, that the only way that you could enjoy or understand an eclipse was through science. But science really, Wayne, and you know this, is just at the root. It just means knowledge, mm-hmm. right? So we're gathering knowledge about the eclipse. But I think one thing that uh, in all that scientific data that seems to – that easily gets lost is – the glory of God. Right. And uh, so people got excited and, and people have a wonder at when they see something like this they've never seen. And even people who have, who have never seen this want to see this. So I was, I was at work and I didn't have a chance to take a lot of time with this when the eclipse happened. I went outside and I did the, the simplest possible way to view this. I just took two pieces of paper and poked a hole in one of them, showed the uh, shadow on the other one, and uh, I looked at it that way. But I noticed there's lots of people trying to use their cell phone to take a picture, which doesn't work. No. And uh, the, people didn't know what to do, you know. And But so you find these things, you, you discover something that's amazing. And if you were lucky enough to be in the totality, it would really be amazing to see the sun go dark. Yeah. The uh, Time magazine interviewed Brother Guy Consul Magno. Mm-hmm. You know, Brother Guy is the Vatican, the chief Vatican astronomer. He's a, uh-huh. Jesuit, uh, a Jesuit priest. 
And he was asked, Time Magazine asked him, so what's the Pope think of this? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> but he gave a great quote about the eclipse that mm-hmm. I think is a, is a nice counter to all the science-y mm-hmm. aspect to it. But of course, now, now Brother Guy is a science expert. He's got <clears throat> degrees in science, um, more than a stove. He's got he's, – he's, he's a super brilliant man. Um, but he said this. He said, the great thing about an eclipse is that anybody can see – You don't need a telescope. You don't need an education. You don't need to be told what it is you're looking at. Mm -hmm. Anyone who experiences it, anyone who is there under the shadow of the moon will experience the eclipse. And from that, we are all under the same sky. We are all experiencing the same thing, whether we are left or right or how we voted or what kind of music we listen to. That sense of common joy is something that can both pull us together and encourage us to then want to learn more. It is a great common experience that nobody pays for. And nobody can own. What do you think? Right. So, you know, the Bible says we're made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so I think that means we want to discover. We want to learn. We want to understand. Yeah. So I think uh, we should not be afraid to to step beyond the wonder. We have the wonder and excitement of seeing something like that. But there's there's a connection between that wonder and, and worshiping God. And we shouldn't be afraid to make that connection. Now, it's interesting because it it reminds me all the the cultural craziness that we experienced. There was a lot of unity, a lot Mm -hmm. of people together. You heard the – I heard it on the media all the time while I was watching it throughout the day, the sense of unity that that it brought. In in here in Texas, we saw about 75 percent of it. I know some of the country uh, saw, you know, more or less. My mother lives in Southern California. She saw about 50 or 60 percent of it. Um, I went out there with a – with a welding mask. <laughs> I went into the barn and got a welding mask. And so I put sunglasses on and I put my welding mask on and it was really cool. I could really, the the disc of the black disc, the perfect circularity of these two objects was, was phenomenal to me. I mean, just like a perfect circle. But there I was in my welding mask standing out in in the front yard with, <laughs> with my welding mask on. <laughs> but um, this, it's really interesting to me because uh, if you go back, and I wanted, we, we have some, I know you and I both talked about some of the stories that we found in, in the past about uh, what, uh, what eclipses did for people who quite, weren't quite as scientifically advanced as we are. Um, but despite all the science that we know, Wayne, it's still amazing to me that the, the, the excitement, the, the chaos, the fervor, there were a lot of Christians predicting that God was about to judge the country. There was a lot of people talking about the glory of God. And that there was everybody in between just kind of enjoying the event. But there was a fervor. There was a, there was a great intense interest in this. And uh, <clears throat> it reminds me of the way in which uh, the, the heavens influence us. In, and in medieval times, um, in, in the medieval model, with your, you're familiar with the idea of living under the moon what it was like, the, the kind of influence. That's where we get the word luna, mm. lunacy. So when the moon was full, you know, this idea that the moon was influencing us to uh, this kind of chaotic, crazed imagination, right? And mm. it's interesting, though, that we, are, we, know, we know now that the, the, uh, the Ptolemaic system, the, the Aristotelian spheres, scientifically isn't true. But it seems to me that we are still under some kind of influence when it comes to things in the heavens. But I wanted to talk about really quickly um, the some of the stories that we heard from the past. Uh, you have a, a, a really good right. one. Right, this was interesting. You know, I, it, we can we can be glad that we know what an eclipse is, 
because uh, in in the distant past, people did not know what this was, and when they saw a total eclipse, it was a frightening thing for them. There's a there's a story from about 595 BC in uh, Eastern Asia. There was a uh, uh, the people called the Medes mm-hmm. were in a war with a group called the, the Lydians. Okay. They'd been fighting a war for 15 years, and there was a total eclipse during, while they were on the battlefield by this river, uh, a river called Halas. And uh, so <laughs> this is in the area that's now Turkey. But So they they saw this eclipse, and it frightened both armies so much that they stopped fighting. <laughs> And the, the the two kings made peace with each other, made made a peace treaty. You can imagine what's going on at that time. It's like, who turned out the lights? What's going yeah, on? So Call the magicians. Did you do this? <laughs> <laughs> was this a witch that did this? Which, is, which of you witches was playing with the switches, right? Yes. Who did this? What's going on? Right. Stop fooling with the lights. I, I was imagining this <laughs> scenario in my head, and I was doing voices in the car on the way over about, uh, you know, like a... It's that guy from Despicable Me, Groot. You know, he was the general, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. commanding one of the armies. Let's, excuse me while I go consult with my magicians. Hey, you guys, did you do this? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and he calls the magician. No, boss, we didn't do it, you know. And uh, so, but, but yeah, there was that power that, that, uh, that, that astounded them. Their magicians couldn't do it if they had some. In, I don't know if they had those in, in that time, but, but uh, certainly that was something that they, they scared them to death. Yeah. So you know? back then, of course, they didn't know what it was, but. Uh, we know what's happening now, but we're not any any more in control of it than they were then. No, no. And uh, so it, it raises the uh, the question, okay, whatever science we have, it makes us able to predict something and know what's going to happen. We can we can know the times and know they knew what the times of the eclipse would cross uh, the United States, but. Uh, that doesn't make us in any control of it. No. Um, speaking of being out of control, I read of an, an account of a Franciscan missionary to mm-hmm. the Aztecs mm-hmm. from the 16th century. The guy's name was uh, uh, Fray Bernardino mm-hmm. de Sahagun. I'm probably killing the name. But he wrote what historians now call the Florentine Codex. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was a, a very detailed description of what uh, the Franciscan friar saw uh, in and among the Aztecs uh, while he was there sometime in the 16th century. He completed it in 1577. He was he first arrived as a missionary to the Aztecs in 1529. And um, it was called in Spanish, the Historia General de las Cosas de Nueva España, the history of things in New Spain. And uh, he recounts his own observations uh, in the Mexican people who... Uh, among whom he lived and served for a time. So there was a an eclipse. Now, how would you like to be in an Aztec village during an eclipse? I mean, just I don't know if I want to see that. Right? It's terrible. Um, and it was. What, what, what do you think? I mean, it was just it was just chaos. So he writes this. Uh, it's in book seven of his of his history, and it said uh, that the sun turned red. Mm. He he personifies the sun. This is the the the, the Jesuit, the uh, Franciscan, the monk writing. He became restless and troubled. The sun did. He faltered and became very yellow. Then there were a tumult and disorder. All were disquieted, unnerved, frightened. There was a weeping. The common folk raised a cry, lifting their voices, making a great din, calling out, shrieking. 
There was shouting everywhere. People of light complexion were slain as sacrifices. Captives were killed. All offered their blood. They drew straws through the lobes of their ears, which had been pierced. And in all the temples, there was the singing of fitting chants. There was an uproar. There were war cries. It was thus said, if the eclipse of the sun is complete, it will be dark forever. The demons of the darkness will come down and Mm. they will eat men. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I hate to laugh, but but that, that, can you imagine what the Aztec village during an eclipse was was like? I mean, it's just just utter chaos. Uh, We're a little bit past that, but there's still a lot of freaking out, culturally speaking, about the celestial phenomenon, especially things, as you say, we can't control. Um, the other thing that I, that I, getting back to the medieval time, um, when you lived under uh, the influence of the moon, um, life under the moon in the medieval time period, um, the sublunar realm, you know, you, people talk about geocentrism, you know, that the medievals had the, the, you know, the earth at the center of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. But the earth in the medieval conception was not a pretty place. It was the heavy stuff, right? The, the lighter stuff was of the heavens, and then the heavier stuff, sort of the, the, the universe's garbage, fell to earth, right? So earth was a mess. And uh, I had this wonderful quote from uh, a gentleman who wrote a book. The book uh, is The Medieval Ages or The Medieval Era by Morris Bishop. And he says, uh, I just want to give you a taste of the medieval world. So you add this cultural scenario to, to an eclipse, and you can imagine. He says the medieval streets were unquestionably foul. Butchers slaughtered animals at their shop fronts and let the blood run into the gutters. Dyers, that means the people that colored fabrics, released their noisome waters from their vats. City officials in Italy would throw fishmongers' unsold fish into the street for the poor to make sure it would not sicken the honest purchasers. Pigs ran free as scavengers, and in London, genteel dogs, though not commoners' dogs, were allowed to roam at will. Flies settled down in clouds to their banquets, but few besides Petrarch complained. The walker, perhaps with a perfumed handkerchief on his nose, picked his way carefully, dodging the black mud thrown up by the squashing of horse hooves. And there was always a menace from overhead. And it says, and then he recounts the story of uh, Louis IX of France, who was walking along the street one day, and uh, received the contents of a dumped chamber pot on his royal cloak. So he's walking along the street in a window from an apartment window from above. The guy throws out his chamber pot and the king dismounted and ran up into the culprit's lair, finding him to be a student who had risen early to study. And the king, instead of, can you imagine you're just doing your homework and the king of France is in your apartment covered in your own muck? (laughs) But the king gave him a scholarship. The king, yeah, he was, this is the gentleman that for whom they named St. Louis. He was supposedly a a wonderful saintly king. But I I bring all that up to to, to talk about that our life is a mess down here. I mean, we're we're dealing with a a terrible hurricane that just happened in our our coastline. Mm. You and I have been through a lot in our own personal lives. Uh, And life down here on terra firma, it's glorious sometimes, but it's also, you know, even if you're a king, you've got to swim through the mess. But it reminded me of Christ. I mean, it really did. That, that Jesus, when he came down into this world, he came down and got dirty with us. He took a, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And I can just imagine the king taking on our soiled garments. And instead of judging us, he, he, uh, he forgives us. He gives us things we don't deserve. I mean, and, and he comes down, and I think that's the beauty of Christ. Something that science, because... You know, science was taking credit. Scientists were taking credit for the eclipse as a science event. 
But when you have a natural disaster, they're not quick to say, you know, this hurricane brought to you by science. You know, so right. it's not yeah. it's not a worldview that can carry both that heavenly glory mm. and that earthly disaster and mm-hmm. explain it like I feel like Christianity can. But Jesus enters in, comes down from that heavenly glory and enters into our our, our hurricanes and our mud and our disease and our filth, and he takes away our filthy clothing like he did in, in Zechariah. He, 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 he is the king who we mistreat and who comes down. And so the, the solar eclipse reminded me of God's glory and his power, but so did the hurricane. I mean, it's terrible, it's tragic, but Jesus is right there in both with people that are suffering. Well, you know, I think uh, the way God originally created the earth, it would have been a nicer world to live in with less severe weather and things. But uh, the uh, the natural disasters have a way of making people look beyond themselves to to God sometimes. Yeah, because both both the hurricane um, and the and the eclipse brought people together. And yes, and so it's kind of a, a perhaps a test of how we're going to treat each other. How, yeah, it, we should um, we should be helping each other out. Uh, so. We've seen a lot of that in Texas. Um, um, Dan, I'd like to read a, a quote from Bill Nye. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. The total yeah, sure that. That's really good. <clears throat> Tell Bill it. Nye, the science guy, he said, uh, experiencing an eclipse changes the way we feel about space and how we are connected. I hope this moment reminds us all that we share a common origin among the stars that we are all citizens of the same planet. So, he, uh, now, I agree we're certainly citizens of the same planet. Uh, I, I really have a lot of doubts about us having a common origin among the stars. Yeah. You know, you know it's interesting, Dan, the Bible sort of says we, we're we Earth stuff, not star stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know astronomers sometimes say we're we're star stuff. Yeah, well, and that's because we, what, they we they, yeah. they can't, figure out where our carbon came from. But now in studying stars, they think that the only place that the heavier elements on the periodic table can be made yeah, are in the super, furnace. Supernovas. Supernovas, so yeah. stardust. So we, right. we're, we're exploded. We're, I think it was Martin Rees I read in one of his books. Uh, he said we're nuclear waste. You know, he's not as poetic and as eloquent. Yeah. He's not as excited about yeah, the prospect. To, that's <laughs> a way to put it. You know, so, but, but that's true, Wayne. If, if we are just, you know, leftover explosive material from, from suns, then then why are we surprised that life down here is so chaotic? How can we expect order from just being solar detritus? Right. But but Genesis has the story of God making the first man from dust. So I think there's a lesson there of if we're made from dust, we shouldn't have too high of an opinion of ourselves, (laughs) man. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the beauty and the glory of it because we are, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think man is the first thing that God makes with his hands. Mm. Is that, or does he make the animals before us with his hands? He makes the animals first. Yeah. But we are one of those things that God actually comes down and forms Mm. with his hands. And that's consistent with Psalm uh, 139 where he says he's knit us together. Mm -hmm. So we are a special creation, but we are also dust. We are also dirt. So we're not we, – we are made of the same things. God used carbon to make suns, and he used carbon to make us, but we came from the earth, not, not the suns. I wanted to read something else <clears throat> talking about life below the moon. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who was a, uh, uh, an expert 
on the medieval period. He, his seminal work is uh, literature from the 16th century. So if anyone knows his medieval stuff, it's C.S. Lewis. So that mm-hmm. was his profession by trade. He was an apologist second, but he was a medievalist uh, first. And he talks about in a book, a wonderful book called The Discarded Image, talking about uh, what we lost, talking about the medieval model of the cosmos and what what it was and why it's worthy of retention in our imaginations. But it's interesting because he talks about life underneath the moon. Like, you know, I was reading, it's messy. It's it's a mess. Um, but I wanted to see that he says, if you're in the medieval era and you were thinking about the moon, he says, at Luna, Luna is the moon, we cross into our descent the great frontier, which I've so often had to mention, from aether to air, from heaven to nature, from the realm of gods or angels to that of the daemons, from the realm of necessity to that of contingence, from the incorruptible in the heavens to the corruptible. We dwell under the moon, stand in the world upon a weir. A weir means doubt in the medieval time. If we lived above the moon, we should not suffer weir. Uh, W-E-E-R is, means doubt or uncertainty. So there's this, there's this doubt and uncertainty in our minds. We are corruptible. We are transient. We are contingent. Uh, that's life under the moon. And there's also another aspect to life under the moon that's, that's rather poetic, uh, that Lewis actually was a poet. He was buried in, in um, Poet's Corner in Westminster Abbey, I believe it is. Is that right? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, Westminster Abbey. And um, he's, he describes the moon having uh, a wetness effect on, on us. In the medieval era, if the moon was out in full, it was marshy, it was wet, it was damp, it was dewy. There's this wetness aspect to the medieval influence that Lewis talks about. And it's interesting. So you combine the wetness and the lunacy of the moon and the influence of the moon. And it, as I was putting all this together, I was thinking about the Apollo 11 return from the moon. And it, I, I don't – Michael Collins right, has a great book called Carrying the Fire, and he describes it in great detail what it was like to descend from the moon. And I, it sounds like something right out of Chaucer. I wanted to, to, to just briefly touch upon that. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting and, and funny. Um, he says that uh, they're, in, they're cramped. You know, there's three guys in something a little bigger than a midsize SUV for nine days. So as they're descending, it's the ninth day, and Michael Collins says, we smell. You know, and they're cramped tight quarters. <laughs> and uh, so as their cramped little 11,000-pound apartment hurdles toward Earth, the astronauts begin to feel the tug of Earth's gravity. Collins says as they plummeted Earthward, he and his lunar companions, quote, must slop about in crowded and ever more smelly surroundings. The right side of the lower equipment bay where, uh, wherein are located old launch day urine bags, discarded washcloths, and worse, is now a place to be avoided. Mm-hmm. The drinking water is laced with hydrogen bubbles as a consequence of fuel cell technology, which demonstrates that H2 and O join imperfectly to form H2O. These bubbles produce gross flatulence in the lower bowel, resulting in a not-so-subtle and pervasive aroma, which reminds me of a mixture of wet dog and marsh gas. It seems degrading for Columbia, that's their vessel, to reach this, what he calls, the smelly old man stage. 
<laughs> so, so that's the that's the lunar capsule in descent. It's a it's a medieval it's a medieval apartment. You know, it really is kind of crazy that we went to the moon. But here here's three guys coming back from the moon. They stink. It's a mess. Can't wait to get home. The Earth is you know they're they're like six and a half G's and they're being crushed by this. They smell, you know, <laughs> and uh, so it's just it's it's interesting. And then of course it splashes down in the Pacific, which is the 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 wetness. And then they splash down upside down. And then they're hanging upside down from their straps, and they got to use bubbles in the cone of the rocket to right themselves. And then they got to take seasick pills, and and then the gravity. They get up on the ship. I think it was the Hornet, and they they're having a hard time standing up. You know, so it's just it's just a mess. But it's interesting to me that that despite all the advancements in science that we have, we're still there's still a remnant, and I think this is what Lewis noticed: a still a remnant influence of of the medieval imagination in our best endeavors. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh... So, what a great accomplishment! But you know, the, this is a side of it you don't hear. They're, right? They're, only, they're still human. <laughs> they're still and, very human. And, very uh, human. It's a wonder that we did that. I have to think that uh, God has a has a role in our advancement of technology and the things that we do. I think that He allows uh, us to have these accomplishments yeah. for a reason. Yeah, and I, th- I think the same spirit that was in the people of the 14th, 15th, 16th century that looked at the heavens mm-hmm. and created that cosmology were as much, if not more so, uh, in tune with the universe like we are. Our reasons for going to Mars or going to the moon is not just so we could look at empty rocks and desert, uh, but I think it's part of that glory. You, you hear astronauts and astronomers talking about this. They're influenced in childhood to do these explorings. Um, and uh, so I think the, the desire to go to these places really is tapping into what Scripture calls the glory of God. Right. And, it, and some people can't articulate that. But I hope as we talk more about things that we can more articulate what the glory of God means. Um, anything else fascinating or interesting? Um, there were some interesting things people said about it and their, yeah. their reaction to it. Uh, one person said it was a spooky, spooky experience. <laughs> totally <laughs> eclipse. When it went totally dark. Uh-huh. Uh, one person called it Woodstock for nerds, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> which is not too bad. Uh, there was some interesting things about animals getting confused during eclipses. Yeah, I heard about uh, that. Uh-huh. That's a kind of interesting thing. But again, we um, we can understand these things, and uh, I think the fact that we can predict it and know what's going to happen, I mean, it goes back to the order that God created in the beginning. Yeah, and because you know the Bible, the Bible uh, describes the laws of the heavens as decrees, like. They were God's commands. Mm-hmm. So God put in effect th- physical laws in the beginning that still operate. And because they do still operate and it's predictable, we can figure it out and understand it. Yeah. And one, Einstein had a, a really interesting quote uh, that he said, one of the most incomprehensible things about the universe is that it is so comprehensible. That we could know it, that our facts yes. and figures, our mathematics can match what's going on above Why us. Why is it that we are able to comprehend it as well as we do? Yeah. Is that an accident? Yeah. And I don't think so. That's what science is telling us. That's the, that's, yeah. that's the, 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 when you buy the popular books and you watch the videos and you, you really get into the popular level astronomy, that is it. It's accident. Um, when ABC's David Muir was talking to 
uh, Dr. Olusei, the NASA astrophysicist, um, Muir noted that the, the eclipse really gives us a perspective of that we're part of something bigger. Mm. But of course, Muir's explanation for the eclipse was luck. We're just lucky that we are in this uh, path of totality. Have you ever heard of the term syzygy? Mm. It is a. It comes from a Greek word, um, but it is the alignment of the sun, moon, earth, and you. And so when you're in the path of the totality, you're in the syzygy. I, th- I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Um, but, but David Muir said to, to Dr. Olusei, he said, you know, the eclipse reminds me that we're all a part of something bigger. This was Dr. Olusei's um, comment. He's a wonderful physicist, by the way. I don't mean to be picking on him. He, he grew up in poverty in the South. Uh, wonderful black African-American, very knowledgeable, very passionate about his subject. So I'm, I don't want to use this quote and sound like I'm picking on him, but it is. it does demonstrate the, the popular mindset about our origins, as you were talking about, and the difference between the narrative that we have in Scripture and the narrative that's out there in the world. And Dr. Olusei says, that's right. We are the universe itself. Mm. We are the universe become conscious and able to witness itself. And, you know, we're really connected to the sun and the moon because it all started at what we call the solar nebula. As the planets condensed, eventually us humans came about. And here we are to build instruments in order to see it and to witness it. Now, he, that, was, mm-hmm. that was spoken on ABC, right? Uh, I have the utmost respect for the physicists and the scientists who study this stuff, and I don't mean to, to denigrate them at all, but, but that's, that's the narrative that's out there. If you pick up any modern work on cosmology, the sun, the moon, the syzygy, all this alignment, this perfect precision uh, is all just a, a matter of happenstance and matter and energy just coalescing at random. Yeah, it's just chemistry and physics. Just chemistry it, and physics. It's just physical laws working out. But I don't think that's satisfying to anyone. No. I mean, the 15,000 people that showed up at Southern Illinois University Stadium and cheered for the eclipse weren't doing it because they understood the mathematics behind it. I mean, I'm sure some of them did. But, uh, you know, you're not, you're not cheering like your team scored a touchdown when you see something like that, something that we've only seen in this country, what, the last 100 years it was. So I think there's the culture. I think what it has done, Wayne, and has demonstrated that really what united us wasn't two bodies in space. What united us, what really brought us together was on, on a very basic level, what we would call common grace in theology. What, what, what really united us was the glory of God mm. um, because that the, the path of totality, what was really remarkable to me, was that it went through five state capitals. Starting with Salem, Oregon, it came down through Lincoln, Nebraska, then Springfield, Missouri. Nashville, Tennessee, and then Columbia, South Carolina, in the path of the totality. Hmm. And it brought to mind the scriptures uh, in Isaiah, the prophecy that, of Jesus, that the government will be on his shoulders. And so this path of totality, as it goes over our state capitals, hmm. it, I, rather than reminding me of, of Old Testament judgment, it reminds me of the judgment that Jesus bore on Calvary. Uh, when we talk about judgment and God's future judgment, we, can, we know that Jesus is coming back, but we know that the future judgment... Uh, but the, the, the judgment for nations and for people is now Calvary, that, that we cannot avoid speaking about judgment. We can't speak about judgment without speaking about what Jesus has done. And so when that, the, the glory of the eclipse passed over those state capitals, it, that's what it brought to mind. You, you know, look, I love you. You know, I, the government is on my shoulders. Come to me. Seek me while you, while you can. Whether or not that means that God is going to judge our culture, I have no idea. I, I wouldn't even. I heard a lot of people do that. What do you think about that in general? You've heard uh, th- I, I that was just, another thing yeah. I wanted to talk about. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of that because I don't. We can't know the future like that. I'm not either. Uh, I I don't see any reason to 
make any uh, connection with something in the Bible that says, because this eclipse eclipse happened, this is a portent of some sort of judgment or something bad is going to happen. But, you know, God has said there is judgment coming, but uh, I don't see any reason to connect that to an eclipse. Yeah, because now is the time when we should uh, think about uh, putting faith in God and, and consider his glory and, and it, how he can be relevant in our own lives. Right. The um, the word for glory, I know the Old Testament word for glory, uh, Psalm 19 is where I'm thinking of it specifically, is kabod, which means really we don't have an English equivalent for it. It means weighty. Um, so like King Solomon or any any king who is in a political power who's wealthy, it means wealth and weightiness, like a seriousness, a severity, uh, a goodness, kind of a solemnity. We don't have one word that really captures it. Glory, we tend to think of shiny, right? But But the Hebrew word for glory is weighty. And I think it's interesting that that when we're talking about weightiness and glory, that we're dealing with uh, primarily in astrophysicists mass, the stuff of which suns and planets and moons and galaxies are made. That the universe is massive. I mean, that's just solid physics. The universe is massive, and that's actually a really nice fit to the biblical word. When you, um, when you look at galaxy clusters or you look at any body in space, I mean, this is what Einstein talked about in his general relativity, that bodies have mass and that mass warps the fabric of what he called space-time. And I think that's exactly what Scripture says. I mean, even if the metaphors change and our science changes, that, that God's glory is really what is shaping the space-time fabric. It's his weightiness that's moving the planets and stars and suns. Now, Einstein came up with a pretty brilliant equation for all of this. But behind that all, just because you have E equals MC squared doesn't doesn't make God go away, right? We're not talking right. about God of the gaps, right? Right. Uh, <clears throat> the science and the mathematics describes how things are going to happen so right. you can predict things. But there's a lot of questions physicists can't answer about what is it really? Yeah. Uh, how does it really happen? Because a force is just a and, metaphor for and something. The, the physical laws, the, the source of the mathematics is a complete mystery. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the mathematics of the physical laws themselves is information. Where does that come from? Yeah. You had a passage I, I, when we were talking about what we were going to do tonight. You had a passage from Job. Did you get that? Yes. You uh, want to read that? We didn't mention that. No. Uh, it's but I Job 9-7. And this is where Job is speaking. He says, he speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. So it's by their command yes. that that, uh, that they burn and that they shine. One of my favorite verses is, uh, I hope I can read it, I didn't bring my glasses, um, from Isaiah, where the prophet is exhorting Israel to remember God. Because, you know, that's part of the problem that Israel and we have is forgetting who God is. And in Isaiah forty twenty six, the prophet encourages Israel to lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. And I read a, a, a commentary on what that means by calling forth the stars by name. And the gentleman suggested that this was God doing this Every time 
when you see the stars out at night, he commands them to take their positions by name, every one of them that we can see and that we can't see. It's just it just hmm. it's if it's phenomenal, even if that's not even getting all the way there. It's phenomenal. But um, that we're running out of time. I think I'm getting the signal from our, our our technician that we are at the end of our 45 minutes. But I think it's been a, a wonderful discussion. We've only just barely scratched the surface. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have, too. Any final, great, Dan. any parting thoughts about the eclipse? We haven't figured out the whole universe yet, but we can enjoy what we what we know. But as Christians, we can take advantage of the fact we shouldn't be afraid of these things. Um, we can use them. We can use the heavens to remind us of his glory. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the universe is like a tangible thing that may helps us understand infinity so we can imagine God. It, it's it should point us to God. It's the only thing. It's the, it's the biggest. It's 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 a metaphor for his kingdom. And all this stuff is just temporary, which is amazing. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Good Heavens. And we hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, I'm Dan. And I'm Wayne. And we will see you next time. <laughs>